0: overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I have a very special guest for you. Her name is BJ Garrett, and she's going to share a lot of her personal experiences and some struggles that she's been through and how God has helped her overcome it. I'm so excited to hear what she has to um, share. And I'll be open and just tell you that some of the topics she's going to discuss, I share some of those struggles in my background as well. So we're having this conversation and we want to be transparent any ears out there listening, if you can relate to these types of struggles, we hope that we say something that helps you. We pray that we say something that helps you. And if you haven't been through these type of struggles, but maybe you know someone who has, maybe this conversation will help you know better how to be there for those loved ones or just children in the neighborhood, or if you're in an academic setting and there's children who struggle. However, you have the opportunity to influence within your sphere. So with that, Vijay, will you go ahead and tell us more about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pamela. Well, uh, first off, I am happily married 25 years this July to my husband, Jay Garrett. (laughs) And we have three adult children, uh, three grandchildren. I serve in full-time ministry of speaking and writing. I mean, I don't know how much you want me to share just right off the bat, but that's our current life. We're very active in our church and in ministry, and we love to serve the Lord together. We love missions. We've been to Uganda and Africa, and wherever the Lord opens doors, we're willing to go and and share our story, His story through our life.
0: That's great. I think of it that way, too. I think our story is His story. As you said, It He uses us as vessels to reach out to others through what we've experienced and kind of like when you've given your life to God, it is his story. Describe your childhood and the abuses that you faced.
1: When we talked before, you're like, okay, but really take me back there. And it's so challenging because really it was just dirty. And, and you're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, it was really dirty. It was very, very poor. We never lived in one home. For a full school year, like i I never went to one school for a whole semester, usually, we moved a lot and we often had no utilities, no running water. I remember one very humiliating time, and some of you may relate to this what area
0: were you in by the way, what area, yeah, like state or City. We
1: moved around a lot. So we were in Virginia, we were in Louisiana, we were in Texas, um, we were in up New York a lot of the time. Okay. So we moved all over. Even if we were in one town for a while, which we lived in Cattaraugus, New York for about three years, I think, mm-hmm. we never stayed in one home for very long. We were still moving a lot. And really that boiled down to my mother not paying our bills. And so we would get evicted from one home and have to go to another home. And so we were just constantly on the move. Or she would get in trouble with the law, and so we would be on Mm -hmm. the move. So it was just constantly, sometimes she would be in and out of jail, and so we would go live with family members. It was just always on the run, always on the go. And again, just extreme poverty. I remember when I was a little girl, we would have to open the cabinets and let the bugs fall (gasps) before we get our food or a glass out for water or whatever. Extreme disgustingness. Um, really, it was absolutely
0: awesome. Wow. Yeah. That is terrifying to me, but I'm like scared of all creepy crawlies.
1: <laughs> it's terrifying to me. Like, let me tell you, if we if bug in the house today in my life. Now I'm just like, ah! I'm screaming for my husband because I'm not about that life. But as a little girl, it was just common. We literally, we would open cabinets and they would just fall out. I mean, oh. an, an idea, a glimpse into the home. Yeah we were, that we were in and lots of abuse. My mom worked a lot and usually like the three to 11 shift, she worked in nursing homes and different things. And so we were home alone a lot. And and I do have a sister. I will just kind of preface this and I don't tell my sister's story, but you'll hear me say we, because it was usually me and my sister together and a lot of things, but her right. story, is my story, my story is my story. We were home alone a lot as a very young age and in and out of, I say foster care because people recognize that term, but it wasn't traditional foster care. The state had never actually taken us. We had just been surrendered to different family members
0: and different things throughout my mom's travels and conviction. Wow. Yeah. wow. So that's a lot. And it's important, I think, to kind of share that in the beginning To as we continue to unfold your story. And I mean, we're doing a podcast here, but I certainly see it as a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And at the end of the day, we want the audience to understand even how you got from point A to point B. So all all this history and these transitions are so important. So thanks for being so honest and transparent and helping us really get an idea.
1: You know what I've learned, Pamela, is that Truly, more people have stories like mine, like ours, than those who don't. Not very many people are vocal about that. And I'm not suggesting that everyone should just tell all their ugly to all the people that they know right. and do that in safe places. But that's what your show does. It gives people a safe place to share their real stories that are happening out there so that other men and women can find that hope and that healing. Because, I mean, like, spoiler alert, here we are, like, please- <laughs> Lord, we are living our best life now, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you hear all of those ugly, disgusting things, and you can think about roaches and sexual mm-hmm. abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and this just shattered little girl. But I promise today, because of the hope and love of Jesus Christ, I am living the best life. It's amazing what God can do with mm-hmm. most broken people if you allow him to.
0: It's so true. I appreciate you saying that and, and even giving a little shout out to the show and what we're trying to do here. But you're so right. We all have these stories. I don't think we all are at the point, though, where we see the importance of sharing it. For me and for the show, it's so that we all feel less alone. And if you're less alone and you see that other people have experienced things and made it out and arrived at that place as you call it as living your best life, they can too. So that's the yeah. whole point of it. It's not just to that. share shocking stories, it's to right. share and help people know that it gets better. And if you're in a situation like that, your situation can get better. So that was a lot you faced growing up and we haven't even scratched the surface of what some of that those trials were, but even before we dig deeper, what were some of the bright spots that you remember? Mm -hmm.
1: There were some really sweet times. So there was (laughs) one season where I lived with, I think she was technically like a second cousin. She Mm -hmm. was more like an aunt, you know, in my life. And I remember she taught me how to can tomatoes and we got to (laughs) garden and we were loved and clean and It was just a sweet, sweet time. I also had some time with my grandparents off and on. I mean, they had challenges too. They did a lot of foster care, traditional foster care. So there are a lot of kids and daycare kind of, you know, stuff going. But sweet times, you know, in that time when, you know, who doesn't love to be with their grandparents, right? Right. and I lived with another aunt and uncle for a while. And and so there were sweet times throughout that. I, I didn't know this until just a few years ago, actually. But one of my uncles that actually had me when I was about three had tried to adopt me and loved me like his own. And, and so that was a sweet reunion a few years ago because I hadn't seen him since then. My mom had taken me from him when I was about three years old. And and I hadn't seen him again in like, you know, 40 years It was just a beautiful reunion of that. And there were some actual vivid memories of my childhood that were sweet. But even in hindsight, looking back and recognizing that there were people that God had sprinkled throughout my life that did show me love, that did try to rescue me.
0: And there were just some beautiful points in that. That's great. And, you know, because a lot of times we forget that life when it's bad is not all bad. And life when it's good is not all good. Absolutely. Always going to have those struggles. And one of the things I've learned in my life is the sooner you recognize that struggle is a part of life, you stop (laughs) thinking that things are happening to you that's just happening to you. Like it's raining, but just on me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not real. Life is hard for all of us. And, you know, that kind of old cliche statement, people say you're either coming out of a trial, in a trial, or headed into a trial. And there's some accuracy in that, but we're not always in a trial. And even when we are in those trials, if you look closely, you can find those bright spots where someone shows up, someone sends a text message or an email, or you hear a podcast, or you watch a, you know, testimony video and just little snippets of bright, beautiful pieces that God will send you Mm -hmm. to help you keep going. So, yeah.
0: I mean, it's the rainbow in the rain. It's um, I think it's all in how we look at our trials. The other thing that I think I've evolved to, I'll say it that way, is realizing that I can embrace what I used to think was a challenge and say, I already know the situation like this is making me stronger. So how can I look for those lessons while I'm still in the midst of it and grow from it and know that this is a learning opportunity, a a growth opportunity, uh, rather than just seeing it as so dreary, so to speak. I know I say this all the time and all of my regular listeners are going to have to hear this story again, but about a year, year and a half ago, I have this women's group and my cousin was sharing on this particular night and she shared about a story of the bison, how they run into the storm and because they run into the storm while other animals are running away from the storm, they actually get out of the storm a lot sooner. That's been a tremendous lesson to me, and that's the way I look at struggles and things like that. We have to have the courage to go ahead and run into them. And as we're running into them, what am I supposed to learn from these situations? And and then, yeah, you kind of get out of out of it sooner.
1: I love that. I'm gonna use it. I will. I will give you and your cousin credit. But I'm, <laughs> that is so good you will get out of it faster. Be like the bison. <laughs> yeah,
0: You know, um, you're not the only person that said that. It seems almost like every time I share that story, someone says, I'm going to use that. I've probably shared it probably on four different shows, but who knows if everybody listens to every show, maybe they'll get that from one of them.
1: Keep sharing it because sometimes we have to hear things five or six times before we're yeah. like, Oh, I get it. Keep sharing it, (laughs) Pamela, because it will encourage someone and remind someone every single time.
0: Thank you. I will. I think I just, just naturally happening like today. I didn't (laughs) plan on sharing it today. You just, something you said triggered that thought. Okay. So you mentioned the idea of ugliness in a previous conversation. Let's unpack what that means together but by considering both inward feelings of ugliness and believing that outwardly you are ugly. So for me, inward ugly was a feeling that I somehow deserve the abuse I experienced. But in addition to that, outwardly, I believe that my broad nose, me being tall, dark skin was ugly. So define those experiences for you.
1: Yeah. For me, the inward ugly was just exactly like what you just shared for yourself. I think that's pretty common. It was as if I felt like it was my fault. I deserve to have this happen to me. For me, there were several different types of abuse going on that I didn't really share earlier, but because I had the abuse of my mom bringing men in to me. And then I had just, it felt like everywhere I would go, I would be the victim of some type of vulgar, Abuse and so like we had a neighbor that lived behind us. Man, the little girl had become friends. I would go jump on her trampoline. Mm -hmm. I was at her house and it was great. They had what seemed like a great home, but then all of a sudden the father started exposing himself to me and doing things. Mm -hmm. And so again, like I felt like I'm the common denominator where I go. These men just seem to find me. So it must be me. So that was the ugliness on the inside. That what's wrong with me? That this keeps happening, right? On the outside, I was just homely looking. I never had clothes that fit. I had a freckle face. I always had like butchered chop bangs that my mom would just chop off and just awful haircuts. I was not cute at all as a little girl. And I can't imagine that because you're a beautiful (laughs) woman. Thank you. Um, you Thank you. But I was just an ugly child. I, I really was physically. I have a wide nose as well. I had tons of freckles, but it was usually like because of butchered haircuts and my mom would just chop it, you know, and it was terrible. I always had like these cheap government glasses that never looked good. And you
0: are so funny. You know, I couldn't appreciate my broad nose when I was younger. I'm okay with my broad nose today. I love my broad nose. I I'm comfortable in the skin that I'm in and all of that. But it's been a lifetime battle yeah. because, I don't know, in this society, dark skin is not always what people pick as, oh, that's extremely beautiful or broad nose and and all of that. I don't know. I just think as we evolve as individuals, we just learn to embrace who we are and love who we are uh, mm-hmm. over time. And if we don't, that's the saddest thing. And I would you know encourage people to do things that could help them grow in those areas,
1: absolutely, and I think brow skin is beautiful, I think yours. St- <laughs> So, and here's the thing is that women, especially women, but even men pay so much money for fake skin colors. Like brown is beautiful. So anybody that has brown skin, be grateful for it.
0: (laughs) Thank you. It's so funny and ironic. Yeah. Cause it's kind of out there. Like it's not cool to be dark, but then a lot of people are trying to make their skin dark. So it's ironic and weird. I am so sorry that you had to experience those things, though, as a child. And I can relate to feeling like there's something wrong with you because of certain things happening to you. My audience knows that I have sexual abuse in my background as a child, and it happened more than once, like in your case. And you certainly internalize those things, and you feel like it's something wrong with you. You're the bad seed or How does this energy or these people or these kinds of people find you? Like you said, it must be you. It must be something bad about you. But I think now that they just were able to notice a certain vulnerability, a certain something like
1: (laughs) I agree. Like in that time as a little girl, I felt like I was wearing this big billboard that said, you know, do this to me. Because it just kept happening. And there was even a time when my parents were actually together for a short season. They were not together most of my life as a couple. But in this instance, they were. And I remember I finally got the courage to tell them about another family member who had abused me at the city pool. Now, in context, my own biological father had been doing things to me regularly also. But I didn't rationalize that as abuse because he was my dad. And I I can't even begin to try to unpack that for you because it's a lot. I recognize now it was absolute abuse. He was one of my primary abusers. But in that time, I didn't recognize that as abuse uh, because he was my dad. When I finally confessed to my mom and my dad that this man, this family member had done these things to me, um, my dad was the first one to jump on and say, if this really happened, it was your fault. You enticed him. Mm -hmm. It was Fault for sitting in his lap. It was your fault for wearing that bathing suit. I was at the city pool, you know, and I was a little girl. I was like 10. I was not doing anything to entice this pervert, but mm-hmm. that was the thing that was said to me and I was shut down. And so, why would you ever tell them anything else? Right. Mm-hmm. That just kind of sealed the deal. I am the one at fault. Mm-hmm. Even parents think I'm at fault. So it must be true. I'm the dirty little girl. I deserve what happened to me.
0: That's so sad. You know what? I want to send you my book. Please do. Oh, girls, Search of cover. The psychological journey of the character unpacks a lot of those kinds of thoughts. I know you've already done a lot of work and you're at a beautiful place now, but I still think that some of the reflections you'll be able to relate to.
1: Absolutely. Please.
0: Okay, so you told us about how you experience ugly in terms of outwardly and then inwardly. And I think that's important because, and again, thank you for your candid approach to this talk. You know, there may be, again, somebody out there and they're feeling all of this stuff and they haven't learned to separate it out. And understand that they are not the problem. They are not dirty. It's not something they're doing. And even if there is an adult around them telling them it's their fault, you hear two adults right now telling you it's not. And if you're an adult and you're listening to this and you haven't been able to sort it out yet, that is not your fault. Again, we're speaking into all of those lies. It's not your fault. You're being instrumental in helping us share that with the world. How did you overcome your inner feeling of ugliness?
1: It's so hard to really answer that. It wasn't like someone said, here, do this. And then, oh, it's better. It doesn't work (laughs) like that. Healing doesn't work like that. There's not some happy pill you can take that says, oh, all of those scars are healed now. All of those bruises are mended. And so it really was a process. And it was a long process. I'm still on my healing journey. If you think I've arrived, like I have given you the wrong impression. I'm still healing every single day. And and yes, I'm no longer at a point where smells or different triggers paralyze me. I have overcome that. And that's significant. That's huge. But there was a season where it would be like, I can't even get out of bed. Like, I don't even want to... I don't want to do anything. I would be very terrified of so many men. And again, just different smells, different colognes I would smell. And it would be like I was that little girl being held down in a bed from you know 30 years ago. So that's real. And again, I don't want to be just all, you know, Bible thumping, cliche, spiritual, but really it was once I come to know the Lord. Once he began to really cleanse me from the inside out, and God began to put people in my life that loved me. And it was very unique for me. It wasn't people that necessarily even knew my story because my story was very private for a long time. public now, that's just brand new for the last, you know, decade. All the rest of my life, it was very private. Even my own husband didn't know my secrets for several years into our marriage, And so it was...
0: I got to pause there. What was it like when you were able to finally tell him and how did he react to that?
1: Yeah, well, so for me, it was awful. I'll just be real honest. And the Lord had told me, so some things that started happening in our marriage and my husband is the kindest man. He would touch me and it was literally like I would be, I would flinch because. Was, it would remind me of these things that had started coming back up. I was having nightmares a lot. And and I knew the Lord was telling me, you need to tell him because he didn't know. All he knew is that I was flinching from his touch right. and healthy, right? And so the Lord had began to move my heart that I needed to let him know. And I'm like, Lord, if he knows how dirty I am, he will leave. Mm-hmm. If he knows all the things I've done and all the things that were done to me, he will leave. And I just can't. And so I continued probably for almost a year with this burden that I knew I needed to tell him, but I couldn't. And finally, one day it had just become enough. And I said, okay, Lord, even if he leaves, you're enough. So I got a babysitter. We had young kids at the time. and, And I just said, you know, he came home from work and like, I'm already ugly crying, you know, and he, I'm like, we talk and he's like, okay. And of course, I don't know what was going through his mind. At the time, but, and I just began to just kind of verbally throw up all of this stuff. And he just held me and let me cry. And he said, and I had asked for his forgiveness because I felt like I had really married him under false pretenses. Mm. Kind of sold him this packaged goods. That was a complete lie. And without him knowing any of the luggage that I had carried into our marriage. And so he was just so kind. And and by this point, we were both believers. So that is key. because if we weren't believers, I don't know what would have happened. (laughs) He just held me and loved me. And he said, of course, I forgive you, but it's not my job. You don't need my forgiveness. Um, You're forgiven by Jesus. And he loves you. And of course, I love you. It doesn't always happen this way. I know, but it was instant healing. Um, No longer did his touch scare me the intimacy was restored in our marriage and, and it was a beautiful thing, but it was awful in the moment. It was
0: terrifying. You know, what's so interesting is the very thing that you feared telling him actually was the catalyst to make things you guys even closer. Oh, absolutely. It's so
1: powerful, Pamela. The enemy is sitting there constantly saying, if he knows this happened to you, if he knew what a dirty little girl you were, that you sat in this man's lap and that he did these things to you and it's your fault, if he knew that this man exposed himself to you or if he knew that your mom traded you for groceries. I mean, so the enemy is constantly
0: just whispering all of these evil, evil doubts. That's the condemnation. When the Bible talks about condemnation, when you wear that degree of guilt, that is has nothing to do with God. When nothing. you have such weighty thoughts of negativity, I think people misunderstand God. They think God is this angry God who is just making you feel bad about everything you do in life. And my experience with God has been just the opposite. The it is. that I'm afraid to show and feel guilty and ashamed of He just loves me through it.
1: The response
0: is nothing like guilt and condemnation. God is the person who says, it's okay. I know, and it's okay. Open up and let it go. It's so opposite from the way most people believe or think of God. I think that you shared is powerful. I wanna go back a little bit. When you first started sharing on these things, you were saying that, it wasn't a magic pill. All of that stuff needed to be said and heard out there in the world through this podcast and however else we can get it out there. It isn't a magic pill. It is something we all who have had things like this happen are working out for the rest of our lives. It is a process, but even with it being a process, I love again how you started this show you said you're living your best life. And in living your best life, it still has this part and this process that you're still working out and it's all okay. That's the thing. That's the power of your story. That's the power of sharing your story in the exact way that you are. It's not a magic pill. And we need to stop thinking that there's magic pills out there. I mean, I would have taken a magic pill already if, If there was one for losing weight, (laughs) we need to forget the whole magic pill theory. It takes work. Healing
1: takes work. Yeah, and healing is hard. You have to really process through that and through those different circumstances, and especially if there's more than one. Every trauma needs its own healing journey, and and some of it can be kind of combined. And I don't mean that necessarily, but. But it does take time and you have to be willing to walk that journey. Because I think, Pamela, I truly believe we get so wrapped up in our traumas that it begins to define who we are and we don't know how to let that go because if we no longer have these traumas to define who we are, to give us these excuses to not show up, to not do the things, then who are we? If we can't use these as excuses any longer, then what do we do with that? Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to live without the weight of our burdens. And so there's times where we say we wanna be healed, but do we really? Because Mm -hmm. being
0: healed takes away the excuses. Mm -hmm. And it it is work and it is a process and you do have to be committed. The thing is though, when you do submit, God has a tailor-made process just for you. Absolutely. We both speak of these processes, right? That you've been through, you're going through a process, I'm going through a process, but our processes look different. God knows what it takes to get Pamela to the other side. And getting to the other side may take a lifetime, but I'm at a way healthier place than 10 years ago. It's reached the point where that experience doesn't hinder me. It hindered me for a great amount of my life. It doesn't hinder me, but are there still things I'm working out and understanding and, you know, putting in place little by little, step by step? Yeah. But God knows how to get through to each of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. We just have to say, okay, God, I'm willing to look at it. I'm willing to deal with this now. And sometimes we can subconsciously run from it or hide from it. And I'm guilty of that too. I don't even want to use the word guilty. I went through that. Yeah. So now I want to flip it just a little bit. How did you overcome the outward ugliness you believed about yourself?
1: I mean, I'll just say I had government glasses my whole my whole life because we were a welfare family. Mhm. And I just want to kind of just for a second if that's you, I don't want you to be in shame about being on welfare. Welfare is to help people. And there are people like my family that my mom that abused the system and didn't do good things with the help available. But if you are in a situation where you are taking assistance, don't be ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you less than because you need help. Okay. So just, sorry, that's just a little pet peeve that and I I made
0: have. an example of that. I had to use welfare at a certain point. I mean, I had a college degree and couldn't find a job that paid me enough to pay for daycare and then have enough left over to survive. So it was like, it didn't even make sense to keep doing those jobs. But eventually I was able to turn it around. So it was a type of stepping stone. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of anything in my journey now. There were times years ago, I would have never admitted that. There was a time we wouldn't have admitted the sexual abuse. Right. Absolutely.
1: But so back to your question, sorry for that little rabbit trail, but (laughs) well, for one thing, this is not healthy and I don't recommend this, but I began to develop and Mm -hmm. got into the wrong group of kids and they kind of no, my my shorts didn't fit, so let's cut them up shorter. And if your shirts fit, you cut them a little shorter and tighter was good. And so it was okay that my clothes no longer fit. You know, again, I began to develop. I you know discovered lipstick and mascara, and and I just began to grow into myself. And so you know, my mom quit chopping my bangs because I was growing into a young woman, and I began to get the attention of men, and I learned. That outer beauty can, at least for a moment, begin to fill those inner needs. It was very short-lived and it was very damaging. False fulfillment,
0: right? Uh, you know what? I'm glad you got there because that's what I was thinking. It was kind of a superficial thing. And yes. I know something about that too. It's kind of like ugly duckly turns into a beautiful swan, but you still don't have real confidence.
1: That's it. So yeah, and you can only paint yourself up so much. And for me in that season of life, the you know, late 80s, early 80s, the big Aquanet hair. And
0: I girl. liked it too. I had my AquaNet hair.
1: It was yeah, and like an net was cheap. Even
0: a girl here could afford the Aquanet, So oh my God, I would spray my hair up like three inches. So so crazy. But yeah, so
1: and then and again the attention from the boys began to change that. Mm-hmm. And but it really wasn't until really many years later, of course, the journey is ongoing. I mean, there are still times where the insecurities of myself where I'm like, I hate my nose or I hate this or I hate that. And I'm so blessed that I have a husband that thinks I'm gorgeous and he tells me every day. And so again, that's just a gift from the Lord to
0: settles it. Uh, Right. God thinks you're beautiful, and your husband thinks you're beautiful. So what? Done.
1: Yeah, (laughs) done. You know, here's the thing: is that beauty is really this. Again, sounds like cliche, and I don't want to just throw out these little sticky statements, but it's in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. And look in the mirror; Mm -hmm. you should see the beauty that you possess, and. It's not about the wide nose. I remember thinking like my nose takes up half my face. And I remember that being criticized for a lot of my
0: life. Okay. First of all, that's not even true.
1: My cheeks are kind of fat now, (laughs) but back in the day I had no cheeks, but all nose. Um, And even like my glasses don't always stay because there's not like a nose bridge. It's just like, it's just all wide. Anyways, that's not the point.
0: Okay. I'm just saying you tripping. Because I'm going to just tell you now, I mean, we're looking at each other on Zoom right now. You have more of a bridge than I have. Your nose is not as wide as mine. And I'm not trying to take away from your story. Yeah, Um, no. Relative, however you perceive yourself. I mean, that's real. But I got to tell you, I reached a point probably similar to what, where you journeyed. I had to embrace my own unique features as beautiful living in a society that says the lighter, the better, the skinnier, the nose, the better, the lighter, the eyes the better, the lighter, the hair, the better, all that. I reached a point where I could look in the mirror and say, you know what? I like my high cheekbones. Mm -hmm. I like my features that don't look like everybody else's, but it's still beautiful. And that started making me feel, okay, I'm unique. And when I started feeling that way, this is the ironic thing. I started getting more compliments yeah. from the outside. It's like I had to decide that I'm beautiful first, yeah.
1: absolutely. Because when you feel ugly, you mm-hmm. as ugly. It's true. When you feel beautiful, the first thing you said to me is, Oh, you're so beautiful. I'm like, Oh, and and I will just again kind of throw this out there when you recognize someone's beautiful, tell them you just don't know what. You know, we talk about the inner child. Mm -hmm. I don't know how few times my life, especially as a little, I was never told I was beautiful. And so to be told that, and again, it's not to puff people up. It's not about that. But when you're told something that is sweet and true like that, then it just enforces and reinforces that God made me beautiful and unique. Not about my nose or the freckles or the anything. It's about he created me uniquely to be me. Yeah. There is beauty in that. And whatever features you have, he created you beautiful in your own skin. Light or dark, freckled, blotchy, whatever. or high cheekbones, no cheekbones, big lips, big teeth, small lips, whatever. He created you beautifully, uniquely you. And you
0: should embrace that. That's great. And listening to you, I was thinking of, I've never thought this before, but beauty like a fingerprint. You have your own unique fingerprint and you have your own unique beauty. And I agree with you. And this, again, this is another Pamelaism. I've said it <laughs> so many times on my show and I just say it so much in my life. I live by this principle that just came to me so many years ago, I think over 20 years ago. If you think something positive, say it out loud and to that person, if you can. So it. if I see someone and my impression is you're beautiful or wow, you have a killer smile or I don't know, I love the way you're dressed or just whatever it is. You have a beautiful personality. Any positive thing that comes to my mind, I really try To say it, especially about a person, I try to go up to them and say it. I love that. For the very thing and reasons that you said, I realized, do you know, sometimes I get blessed by people's reaction? And so one time I was even going through a drive through and it was this young man, I think it was a Starbucks, and he handed me my drink and I was like, wow, you have beautiful eyes. You have great eyes. And the more I looked at him, it was really his eyes that caught my attention. But the more I observed him further, I was like, he's just a gorgeous young man, period. But his reaction, I couldn't believe. I thought he was so attractive that he would brush off my compliment. And do you know, with further conversation, he said that he actually doesn't get complimented that often. And he was kind of bashful and shy and not believe it. I thought girls have to be throwing themselves at this young man. He had a gorgeous smile, beautiful eyes, great features. You would never think that he was the type of person that never got complimented or rarely got complimented. But his reaction alone was a blessing to me. Yeah, that's happened so many times when you do something positive positive, you get positive back and positive coming back is sometimes just a great feeling that you seem to have made somebody's day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it reminds me kind of a weird thing, but when we worship, holy God, we're worshiping him. We get the good feel, the feel that, you know, like it feels good to us worshiping him. And if we feel this way, when we worship, imagine how he feels. And if we feel this good, when we give someone a compliment, imagine how good they feel to get.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you mentioned in a previous conversation too, that not only did you like experience, you know, like a, a dirty environment growing up or dirty clothes or even like smelliness and all that kind of stuff. And Oh my God, how hard is that for a young person to have to wrestle with? And my heart goes out to your younger self. Um, It was awful. (laughs) Yeah, that younger self is always in there, still kind of wondering about life. So as we move forward, you mentioned also in a previous conversation that the repercussions of your male abuser sins hurt you. Will you explain that further? Sure. I think what I mean by that
1: is, you know, sometimes, especially as a woman in ministry, I get, you know, well, God, you know, God allowed this or God caused this or why didn't God protect you? And, and I just, I think it's so important to understand that God is good. God is only good. The truth is, is we live in a fallen world and every single action you make has a consequence. And sometimes those consequences affect mostly yourself. And sometimes those consequences have ripple effects that are very damaging to other people. The Mm -hmm. abusers in my life, their sin had consequences. And unfortunately, those consequences were super damaging to me. Does that make sense? And so what they did, they were the sinner, And God allowing it, or it wasn't any kind of, weird thing. It was, they were sinners. They were evil, evil people that did disgusting things to a little girl.
0: Let me ask you this. What is your experience in terms of, okay, you're a Christian today, a Christian today, and we don't want to live in resentment and holding things against others. How did you evolve? Have you evolved? to forgiving your mom, who would normally be your nurturer, your dad, who would be your protector. How are you navigating all of that? Yeah, so
1: I'm so blessed. And I share about this in my book, but forgiveness is key. And I was actually gifted the gift of forgiveness for both of my parents. Both of my parents are gone, but mother, actually, the last week of her life, I had actually completely cut my parents out of my life for a long time. preservation really. When my mother was on her deathbed, my sister called me and she said, You need to go see mom. And I'm like, no, I don't care. I wasn't even a Christian yet at that time, but I said, I don't care. She can die and go to hell. I don't care. She deserves whatever she gets. And my sister again pleaded with me. She said, BJ, you really need to go and see mom and you don't want her to die with this burden. I didn't understand forgiveness at that time. But what I know is when I went in to see my mom, Cancer had completely eaten her body. It was awful. And all I can say is the Lord broke my heart for her. I didn't recognize it was the Lord. So just know that. I did not give him any credit for any of that at that time. But I know now it was the Lord. And he broke my heart for her. And I was able to talk to her. She was not able to speak anymore. But I was able to tell her that I loved her and that I forgave her. And, and I just did. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time the best way I can explain it it was the absence of hate. I no longer hated her. And Mm -hmm. all of my life, I was so consumed with hatred for my mom. And in in that moment, when I truly forgave her, the hatred was gone. Mm -hmm. It changed the things that happened. It didn't say they were okay. It didn't say she was a good mom or try to justify anything. It was the absence of hate. So that was my mom's story of forgiveness. And then with my dad, again, I had cut him out of my life completely. I'm happily married, living life. I am a believer by this point. Randomly, my dad called me out of the blue one day and he said, if it's not too late, I want to know you and my grandkids. And I've been a terrible person, a terrible father, and I need you to forgive me.
0: Hmm. And
1: I had to make a choice right then if I was going to forgive him or not. And I think probably in my heart, I had already forgiven him because I had moved on. I had, or at least come to terms with it. I don't know if I had actually forgiven him. So he actually invited me and my husband out to dinner that night. He wanted to see the kids. I didn't bring the kids because again, I just wasn't there yet. But I will say that my dad ended up accepting Christ as Savior three years before he died. And I had three whole years of a dad that loved Jesus. and. Mm-hmm. He came to dinners, he came to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we had three years. And now, again, I'll just be real. He didn't babysit my little girl. Mm -hmm. I didn't want my little girl to sit on his lap. Mm -hmm. There were some healthy boundaries that I had to keep, even though I recognized he was different. Mm -hmm. His speech was different. Everything was different. He was a believer. He was forgiven um, by not just me, but by God. We had three years of a healthy uh, father-daughter relationship, and he did get to know my kids before he died, and it was beautiful. And I've had people that don't get that, and I understand that's a big thing to to grasp, but I will always cherish those three years that I had
0: with my dad. Was Um, that in some way healing to your inner little girl?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of that disassociation that he was even one of my abusers for so long, I craved, I wanted to be daddy's little girl my whole life. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, as an adult, I'm for the first time able to hug my dad.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Sincere affection that wasn't dirty. I was able to sit down at a dinner table with him. There was a time when my dad literally, literally spat in my face and said he wished I had never been born. I was able to sit down for the first time ever in my whole life at a Thanksgiving dinner with him and not be fearful of what might happen. It was unbelievable. It was the best gift I've ever had from the Lord is that is the three years that he gave me. And my dad was very sick in that three years Mm -hmm. and he couldn't do a lot of stuff, but he was there and he was redeemed and he was different and it was beautiful.
0: That's great. So, why did you write your book, "Unwanted No More: From Exploited to Embrace"? And what do you hope for your book and its readers?
1: I mean, again, I wrote my book because I know the Lord told me to write it, and everyone says it. Oh, the Lord told me to do it, and that's accurate for most of us, probably. But I just know that my story had to be told. For so many years, decades of holding all of those secrets. And then finally understanding that the enemy is the one that has the control when you have the secrets. Mm-hmm. And when you let those secrets out, then he loses his control and the bondage is gone. And so I knew that I had to share that there was hope. For anyone that maybe experienced any pieces of my story, there was hope in that. And so I had to write it. And my goal, my hope is that Every single person, whether they've had the same similarities in their life or not, you know someone who has, whether you know it or not, Um, I hope that my book is a tool to offer that hope and that healing and to point people to Jesus Christ for that true hope and healing.
0: So do you see that as your purpose today?
1: Absolutely. my purpose is to share the hope and healing of Jesus Christ, whether it's through my book or through my next book that I'm currently working on, or or from a stage, I love speaking at women's events or, or even men and women events. I love to share again, just as we started out his story through my life and Mm -hmm. vulnerability and realness.
0: Great. So which one final gem can you leave with our audience today? Uh, The single most important thing, if they forget everything you said today, you want them to hold on to this. What's that?
1: Yeah. My final piece is that no matter what you have done, no matter what has been done to you, there is hope and healing through Jesus Christ.
0: The end. That's your um, drop the mic.
1: (laughs) That's the drop the mic. It doesn't matter. We can get wrapped up in, well, this happened to me or I did all of these things. Well, here's the truth. It doesn't matter if it happened to you or because of you is hope and healing through Jesus Christ.
0: Right. So share any information you would like to share about how my audience can contact you, get your books or get Mm -hmm. you as a speaker.
1: Yep. So my website is bjgarrett.com. Super simple. Um, You can find me on social media. I'm more active on Facebook. I have not mastered Instagram, but I am on both Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, actually. But again, Facebook is where I do most of my interaction with my friends and followers and then my book can really be found anywhere that books are sold and um, you can buy them directly through my website if you want a signed copy, but it's also available on ebook or audiobooks or Amazon or
0: anywhere you buy your books. Yeah, Great. So thanks BJ. I so appreciate you coming on our show and being so candid, sharing your story. And I love your heart of wanting to help so many people. So it's been a complete honor having you on my show. Thank you very much. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.